Welcome into episode 17 of Legal Fiction, where we pick apart and analyze movies because we're not that good at our actual jobs as a lawyer. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer. Uh, Spencer, how's the holiday season as a lawyer going for you? Uh, it's, it's, it's busy, man. Uh, it seems like, yeah, I know some jobs where the holidays are kind of a cool off period. You're like, oh, it's so I've slow. I've never had one of those jobs. Like, I'm it's always so here about that. But like, always oh, slow down. And I feel like every job I've had, maybe it's because I also worked like retail, like all of my like teenage and like young adult life before mm-hmm. law school. But it's like, I've never had that where it's like, oh, you can, you know, phone it in. I'm like, no, that's like the part where like I have to be like going crazy. Yeah. And it's more the latter uh, for us right now. It just seems like for one reason or another, every client wants to resolve their issue one way or the other before the end of the year, which I mean, I appreciate. <laughs> but yeah. It's like the ones that like they didn't care for like months and now they're like, oh, we should get this wrapped up. Yeah, let's get this off our books, me. Um, <laughs> we can try. <laughs> yeah. uh, I had one like that that hadn't been addressed since like literally January. And then they were like, hey, where's this at? I'm like, uh, it's been dead since January. So uh, I know your pain. I know your pain on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, getting into legal news, I don't really want to talk about it too much. It's unfortunately is legal news um, and probably some of the biggest legal news that we'll have ever talked about on this podcast. But obviously, the Rittenhouse verdict came in. I don't really want to dwell on it too much other than f- fuck that whole thing because everything was flawed. The prosecution, the judge, the standard, the system. Sorry, I, I, I don't I don't agree with the verdict, as you can probably tell. Um, and yeah, sorry, man. If you sub- are one of the people banking off that, sorry, you're a shithead to me. Well, all I'll say about that is uh, brace yourself, listener, for, for more of this kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we're going to have a new written house every year. And maybe there's not. Fucking, there's a precedent set now. Yeah. Well, no, no. And not just, uh, you know, not just on these facts, like a prosecution yeah. of an armed vigilante, but just. Some shithead does something stupid or thoughtless, and then the entire right wing will encircle around that person and build them up. And we're going to just have a new legal culture war every year. And Mm -hmm. libs, you're just going to work yourselves into a froth every year about, you know, these villains. Uh, And and look, (laughs) I don't want to accuse the GOP of anything that they haven't already been accused of before, but obviously, so now it's coming out that Paul Gozar and Matt Gates both want to hire him as an intern for their offices. <laughs> what, what has he done to show that he's one, an accomplished person who can handle that sort of job and two, a Republican, like it's never publicly come out that he's like a super big Republican. I mean, we can obviously infer it from some of his, actions and leanings but what what has he done is it the well he killed he killed antifa that's it yeah yeah you see he he took the gun and he shot members of antifa dead yeah but he just also i I appreciate your pronunciation of antifa 
that's yeah. a, the, the correct pronunciation. I, I I'm always an antifa. Like that's anti-fascism. Yep. It's not antifa. <laughs> like no, this isn't your aunt. Tifa, it's not you know? an antecedent like, of fascism. Yeah, ex- no, exactly. It's like, no, <laughs> anti-fascist, <laughs> uh, which is what we're fucking dealing with in this country, and it's disturbing. But no, it isn't done a goddamn thing other than be a fucking loser, okay? <laughs> He's a fucking baby-faced, whiny-ass loser. Read the, pro- I mean, if you actually read, like, the profiles about his life, uh, you know, in some lights, one could be uh, one could really sympathize with him. Like, ah, oh, he grew up pretty, you know, pretty transient, difficult life. Uh, no real father figure. Uh, wasn't particularly good at anything, so became a wannabe troop and supporter and quote unquote helper. Uh, but in my mind, I just see a big fucking baby bitch and <laughs> whiny loser. Okay, who fucked around and found out and then got bailed out by wow you know what he got tried for what he was charged with in front of a jury of his peers that's how the legal system works uh the issues with this were not really legal man they're what everyone brought to it so like the real issues are social and political sure you could probably like fault the judge for being an asshat which he was um but hey uh you know it's um it wasn't an abuse of the legal process that occurred here. Maybe as a colleague of mine put it, you know, this may be a, you know, an injustice uh, or a tragedy of injustice, but it wasn't by anything done in a court. It was everything else. I mean, literally everything in the, in the court was flawed from like, like the prosecution that they brought, like was not the best. Um, Hey, at least they fucking tried. They did. They did. Uh, So, yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, fuck that racist melted ice cream cone of a human being. Um, but uh, in other legal news, um, uh, we had mentioned him in a previous episode. Uh, John Deere signed their contract. Uh, it was ratified by the union workers. I want to say congrats to saying, mm-hmm. uh, no, screw your raise. I'm going to give ourselves a raise of 8.5K. I'm going to give the health plans back. I'm going to get the pensions back. I'm going to win back COLA. Like, that's how you have to get change yeah, in this working Bitch boy just got bent over the picket line. Got a new contract. Ooh. Way to go. Uh, it's the oh, UAW and all those involved. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And this, it, it was refreshing to see uh, some local polling by Gannett newspapers uh, within the region pulled the public being like, hey, what do you feel about these guys, uh, you know, striking for months now? And like a healthy majority of those polled were like, good for them. Yeah. And like, we support them. And I was like, I, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't figure that from media coverage or mm-hmm. just from the last, I don't know, 40 years of. Um, yeah. From of, like the company made press releases by some mm-hmm. of the newspapers on it. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that. I guarantee you, most organizations covering this, the reporter had to be explained. So this is what a union is. <laughs> I'm not joking. And well, uh, the thing is, too, I mean, that's kind of almost by design because of like how much unions have been, you know, demonized and uh, just taken out at the knees over the past, you know, 30, 40 years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God bless the Democrats. <laughs> 
speaking of just awesome stuff too, and this one I will say is actually awesome. Um, we got an update from a man that we read about in depth. Um, I don't even remember his first name, to be honest. Watkins, the attorney for the QAnon shaman. Oh, that's sneeze. Uh, oh, God. But what, yeah. what we had talked about him was he's also the attorney for the McCloskeys, who are the ones who uh, uh, brandish guns at BLM marchers. Uh, yeah. He was interviewed on his thoughts about um, former President Trump and his responsibility and all this. I'll splice in the clip here, but What do I think about his what? It, what, is, what is an appropriate accountability for former President Trump? Um, well, if you're asking my opinion, uh, you know, my opinion is meaningless. I will say that I would probably be far more effective over a beer with President, former President Trump, even if he didn't have a beer, because I understand he doesn't drink beer, but I'd have a beer. And I'd tell him, you know what? you got a few fucking things to do, including clearing this fucking mess up and taking care of a lot of the jackasses that you fucked up because of January 6th. Now, in the meantime, I might talk to him about some other things that I'd agree with him on. But my opinion doesn't mean shit. Oh, this dude, like, you know what? I probably disagree with everything this man thinks, like, socially and politically. But when he mentioned sitting down for a beer, I'm like, I kind of want to sit down for a beer with this guy and just, like, see what he's like. Same, man. Same. And actually, I'm kind of fucking scared of him, uh, if we're being honest. So, like, oh, he's a perfect litigation. Let's let's keep, yeah, let's keep our shit talked to him. Here. Uh, he was he was awesome. On the like off that. chance that we have any uh, listeners within his current personal pers- <laughs> in his current personal jurisdiction, let's just make sure there's no. Uh, yeah, let's just. Mm-mm. Uh, moving on to entertainment news. Um, I talked about this in a past episode about the new PTA Paul Thomas Anderson movie coming out and licorice pizza starring Philip Seymour Hoffman's son and, uh, the lead singer of Heim. I want to say his name, Elena Heim. Uh, the first reviews are not the best, but I got to say, I do not care. I'm going to see that movie. Of course you are. Uh, I will eventually see it accidentally three years from now, <laughs> but uh, because I'm like perpetually like two uh, of those movies behind, you know, like, yeah, it's just, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I mean, I still have to like rewatch Inherent Vice every couple of years just to be like, okay, let me piece together what happened in this still movie. Have, yep, still haven't seen it. Just <laughs> uh not many rush either it's it's there's three hours of mystification somewhere uh, <laughs> and you know what if i uh want to take yeah yeah uh on the other side of movies we do have the next spider-man coming out pretty soon here um i saw people in new york gathered to watch the drop of the trailer which was going to drop the next day on youtube i'm like you can just I, I didn't wait in a line. I can watch it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you uh, don't, but, but you don't have a race car bed in your home, <laughs> do you? No, I have a very big bed in which I sleep with my wife. <laughs> um, but also Tom Holland, I, I mean, I've, I've always thought he's actually a pretty good actor, but I'm kind of starting to like this dude a lot more for his pressers because he does a really 
maybe it's all like PR tactics way of just kind of shitting on the movies that he's in where he, uh, so recently he has basically said uh, for his uncharted movie, I believe it comes out in January, which is already kind of t- January or February, which is already kind of telling of what the quality of the movie is going to be. Cause that's normally when you dump the ones you don't think are going to be good, but he's already kind of said, it's not going to be that good. Like a lot of people are going to be mad at it. Uh, he's also Dang. said about Spider-Man that it was constantly getting rewritten while they were filming on set. Always a good is, sign. Yeah, always a good sign. Uh, the only other thing which I thought was weird is he said uh, he doesn't want to play Spider-Man into his 30s. I think he's like in his late 20s right now. Uh, but his dream is to buy apartments and rent them out to people at less money than they're worth because he wants to be a good landlord. Uh, I don't know. That just seems like a very weird, specific dream. It's like, like, I want to do something nice, but I still want to make a lot of money from it. uh, Hard pass on that (laughs) one. Uh, the good news, though, is we'll finally have a new Spider-Man here in a few years, if uh, good old Tom is to be believed. Uh, Lord knows this uh, whole Spider-Man thing has been getting pretty stale. Uh, Needs some new blood, all right? Uh, Which I think uh, is kind of, he's like seeing the writing on the wall because they're kind of looking at him as the new tentpole since uh, Downey has moved on. They're like, we need another central person that everyone likes, and everyone likes Tom Holland. So I think they're trying to like really force him to continue to do it, and he's kind of trying to be like, I want to do other things with my career. Meanwhile, fucking Chris Hemsworth's just sitting there, <laughs> still perfect. Uh, Thor, you'd be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, Asgard was destroyed. Like, what's he good? You could do anything. Hey, just Thor. Team up with anyone. I think, I think there's gonna be a who's gonna be with like the guardians, I think is like the next plan. Uh, you know what? Fine. Let's make yeah, I don't know. Uh I don't know. I think uh well I think I think Marvel has run its course, man. I think we need a society <laughs> well, to move on. Uh well, that, I mean I, we're definitely getting into the territory of like what? When it's like new like heroes that we're introducing, but you're basically on the same wavelength, apparently of a lot of high profile directors, because we need to just stop asking, like stop having Hollywood reporters ask directors if they want to direct superhero movies. Like it's become like the new question to ask every single like big time director. Mm. Um, Most recently, Jane Campion, she was asked uh, if she would want to direct one. She was just like, no, I don't. Like she was like, I'll never make a superhero movie. I hate them. <laughs> and the and then so let's have, sign her up. She'll be she'll be announced for the Eternals three uh, <laughs> here in a year or two. And <laughs> then just wait. And then they asked Ridley Scott too <laughs> if he wants to make them, and he was like, No, they're pieces of shit. Which is like one, like he said. Oh, I'm sorry. He said they're fucking boring as shit. Is actually what he said. And which I'm like, Look, you're right. I totally agree with you. But, like, can we just stop asking directors this? Like, especially if it's, like, a Ridley Scott. Because, one, like, he doesn't need to direct a Marvel or DC movie. And 
he's already putting out work still like he's putting out the last duel and house of gucci and the guy's 83 like come on just let him make what he wants to make man he's point. really that old fuck he's a lot older than you think i mean well, he's been churning them out since alien yeah fuck, like alien was like the 70s right yeah like 78 79 yeah Whew. okay uh, the only way Ridley Scott is going to direct a superhero movie is if he can set it in like a medieval or epic era where the superhero is there and there's everyone else has swords and shields and there's a whole lot of blood and flags. That's <laughs> need, it. Yeah, there will have to be blood if Ridley Scott directs Blood it. <laughs> and so many flags. Just like, I need more flags. Well, we can just CGI them in. No! What Get I stitching. Want, <laughs> if we're on the topic of asking old directors i want someone to ask clint eastwood to direct direct the next marvel movie i want that 92 year old man to put in some theme song for the next superhero where it's just clint eastwood with his gravelly voice singing (laughs) (laughs) i want the ending of grand torino's song but set for like i don't know like the next uh eternal kingo movie or something like that like i want uh Kumail Nanjiani riding off in the distance with Clint Eastwood singing him off. Of course, that'll be really a, that'll be a refreshing take on the uh, comic book movie where the general audience looking for a good popcorn film come walking out and be like, huh, so the cops really aren't to be trusted unless they are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there'll be like little pieces of like killing Eastwood in there with like racist like marks would be like that wasn't really necessary to the plot I think he just wanted those words to be in here somewhere yeah he just wanted to call Camille and Johnny some epithet yeah. uh and keep <laughs> and keep and keep calling him an Indian even though he's Pakistani yeah. which you listeners you'd be forgiven for thinking uh our man uh who's a lovely comedian was Indian because he plays an Indian in the new Eternals movie, despite being Pakistani, which, I don't know, in my limited experience and encounters with the Pakistani community... They're not too fond of each other. It's a pretty big fucking distinction. (laughs) Yeah. Which, uh, shout out to Camille. I I think he, I would call him an honorary Midwest boy. Uh, He went to college in the state of Iowa Mm -hmm. and has a lot of love for the Midwest. Yep. Yeah, and he's he's got that slow rye delivery. Yeah, I bet you he could house a casserole, especially now that he's fucking yoked. <laughs> like now he's on the roids. Um, last topic for entertainment news: the newest trailer for it's actually a miniseries. I thought it was a movie when I first saw the trailer. The newest a trailer for Pam and Tommy dropped. Um, if you don't know, it's about Pam Lynch and Tommy Lee. Uh, the bulk of it, I believe is obviously going to focus i mean on the sex tape like it has to that's them um but it's also going to focus on i didn't know this they only knew each other or were together for 96 hours before they got married um (laughs) man that 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 uh tommy can lay a pipe uh clearly i was like yep you know let's do this yeah so it's going to be about the the theft of the tape which then got turned into basically the first ever viral like online video i would say in my like you know memory that was like when like you were like oh like things can get put on the internet and you can like not control where they go from here like that was like the first sort of interaction with that 
um, starring Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee, which I think pretty good there. He looks a lot like Tommy Lee in the trailer already, and I think he's a good actor. Lily James is Pamela Anderson. Um, and then Seth Rogen is uh, probably going to mix up Rand Gauthier, uh, who was a former pornographic actor who then was a contractor, and he's the one who they've alleged was the one who stole the tape from the house, which then got released. Uh, also stars Nick Offerman as one of his accomplices, which I, I'm definitely going to watch. It's on Hulu. It's going to be a miniseries on Hulu, and I'll definitely, definitely watch it. And we're really fucking running out of ideas, aren't we? Like, but society. <laughs> but let me let me entice you some more. This also has Andrew Dice Clay as one of the people in the cast on it. Oh, hey, this fucking guy! Look at his cock. Like, so, I, I, I mean, I think you're in now. Yeah. Uh, Rickety dickety dock. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I already made a cock joke, so I'm just not even going to keep going. Uh, yeah. All right, so moving on to the bulk of our episode, if you saw the title, this week we're looking at probably what is the least legal of any movie we've definitely looked at and probably will look at for a long time. Yeah, um, this is uh, what we would call in the podcasting business a bit of a stretch uh, <laughs> for our format. But fuck you, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, so I tried to find something that was Thanksgiving and some sort of legal process. So this week, we took a look at Scent of a Woman. Hi, Mrs. Rossi. I'm here about the weekend job. Come on in. They put him in a veteran's home, but he hated it. Colonel's a gentleman. A real hero. This is some guy. Down deep, the man is a lump of sugar. Get in here, you idiot. What do you want? Give me what I want. What do you want here? I want, I want a job. A job? I promise you an easy 300 bucks. I don't get an easy feeling. How's your skin, son? I like my age to be presentable. Well, I, I've had a few zits, um, but my roommate, he let me his clinic because he, plus he's from Chestnut Hill and he's got The History of My Skin by Charles Sims. Get out my dress blues. They're in a garment bag in the closet. Are, are we going someplace, Colonel? What business is that of yours? Don't shrug, you imbecile. I'm blind. Our destination is New York City. I, I'm just gonna have to turn right around and come back. <laughs> Charlie's having a difficult weekend. How does he look like he's holding up? Oh, he looks fine to me. Don't think I can't see women because I can't see women. Boy, you have a one-track mind. Women are the essence of life. She's wearing flowers. Flederokai, Ogilvy Sister Soap. That's amazing. Well, I'm in the amazing business. I, I should be getting back to school. Ooh. I don't think you're gonna make it. You said that the last shuttle leaves at 10 o'clock. I lied. All I want is one last tour of the battlefield. You're just in a slump right now. How would you know, watching MTV all your life? Woo! From Martin Brest, director of Midnight Run and Beverly Hills Cop. Make your own rules. Be your own board of governors. 
Pay your own dues. I don't know whether they shoot you or adopt you. It's not much of a choice, is it, sir? Al Pacino. <sighs> Chris O'Donnell. Scent of a woman. What a marvelous place. Scent of a Woman, starring Al Pacino. King. Chris O'Donnell. Junior Prince. Robin himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a bunch of like those guys. But also, which I forgot because I had watched this movie a little bit, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Totally blank mm-hmm. that this guy's in that. Um, 35-year-old Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> playing a high schooler. Fucking great. Was he 35 when this was? No, no. <laughs> was like, he just, oh, I mean, like. He always looks old. He just looks old. Even in this, like, you could tell, like, yes, he's very young, but it's like, fuck, you still, like, just look old, man. God, like, is it the forehead? I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, so this movie, 1992 movie, um, like we said, uh, it takes place in just kind of general New England, I would New say. New Hampshire. Is it New Hampshire? Does they say? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just I knew it as New England. I was like, I don't know exactly where they're supposed to be. Um, I looked it up. Most of the school was filmed in Troy, New York, so just a little bit outside of New York. But uh, takes place at this prestigious school. Uh, I believe it's an all boys school, uh, the Baird uh, Preparatory School. So a very northeast United States exclusive school. I'm assuming very expensive. But all the men who go here, you know, go on to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, wherever to be the bankers and the movers and the politicians and the shakers of the world. Yeah, yeah. They go on to Harvard. And this is kind of coming off the heels of like a short Hollywood fascination with boarding school movies. You know, yeah, you this a, this strikes me very as like Dead Poets Society time and stuff like or, that. Yeah, so there was Dead Poets Society, and then not long after that, there was school ties with Brendan Fraser and Matt Damon, uh, also Cole Hauser, uh, young Ben Affleck, uh, and a bunch of other dudes. Um, and that, cause I think that was like 91, this was like 92. So yeah, it was just, yeah. America just like had a thing for young boys, uh, <laughs> in blue blazers yeah, and head yeah. in, you know, headmasters. Um, yeah. So this movie, like you said, uh, 92, um, it's just got a great, Maybe it's nostalgia for me, but it's got just a great 90s sort of like fall opening feel. There's falling leaves. There's the opening sort of uh, music. It is fall time at the school. We're coming up on Thanksgiving break. Uh, We meet our main student, uh, Charlie Sims, played by Chris O'Donnell in this movie. He is uh, at the school all the way from Oregon or, or Oregon as a lot of the characters say in this movie. Yeah, apparently Oregon was an abstraction to most, even into the <laughs> early 90s. Like, you're from Oregon? Like, what's that all about? But yeah. It's like, it, it's literally in, within the continental United States and has been for some time now, but a hurry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is there on scholarship. Uh, he is not from a rich family, which we learned kind of makes him, I wouldn't say an outcast, but just kind of like not really talked to or encountered that much at the school because everyone else is you know there on daddy's money basically uh there's a a scene right at the beginning where one of the the four main kind of popular troublemaker boys 
they uh, ask him if he wants to go, I think it's like to the Alps or whatever for God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for Thanksgiving, he's like, and then Christmas will go here. New Year's Eve will be there. And he's just like, it'll be $1,200. And he's like, that's a little out of my price range. And he's like, well, what is your price range? And he was like, you'd laugh at me if I told you. Um, so he's, he's working uh, already on, at school in the library. And he wants to find a job to work over Thanksgiving break so that he can get money to go back all the way to Oregon for Christmas to see his family. And he's looking on the, you know, before we had online job boards, he's looking on the school job board where he just finds a little piece of paper that says like house sitter wanted. And he decides to go check that out. And it, it, he, he first meets the niece, I believe, of Al Pacino in this character, in this movie. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, I'll pay you 300 bucks, I think it was, which I looked it up is like roughly six, 700 yeah, in today's yeah, money. So yeah, that definitely pay for a flight back home. And she's like, all you really got to do is, you know, he's going to be quiet. He's not even, you're not even going to see him. Like, just got to make sure that the house is taken care of. He's like, okay. She's like, don't worry. Like, he'll love you. And and don't let him drink too much. Yeah. Like. <laughs> uh, and he goes back in to meet uh, Al Pacino's character in this, um, in this movie, Frank Slade. And he's not really as quiet or as nice as Denise described. He's a, a cursing, bitter, but hilarious, just old, blind, uh, retired lieutenant colonel. What are you, dying of some wasting disease? No, I'm right, I'm right here. I know exactly where your body is. What I'm looking for is some indication of a brain. Too much football without a helmet? Ah! Linden's line on Jerry Ford. Deputy debriefer, Paris, peace talk, 68. Snag the silver star and a silver bar. Threw me at the G2. G2? Intelligence, of which you have none. Where are you from? Um, Gresham, Oregon. Colonel. What does your daddy do in Gresham, Oregon? Hmm? Count wood chips? Uh, my stepfather and my mom run a convenience store. Oh, how convenient. What time they open? 5 a.m. Close. 1 a.m. Hard workers. You got me all misty-eyed. So what are you doing here in this sparrow fart town? I, I, I attend Baird. Attend Bad. I know you go to the bad school. Point is, how do you afford it? Even with the student aid and the folks back home hustling corn nuts. I won a, uh, a Young American Merit Scholarship. Hoo-ah! Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Who's that? Is that little piece of tail? Get her out of here! 
Can't believe they're my blood. IQ of sloths and the manners of banshees. He's a mechanic, she's a homemaker. He knows as much about cars as a beauty queen, and she bakes cookies, tastes like wing nuts. As for the tots, they're twits. How's your skin, son? I like my aides to be presentable. Well, I, I've had a few zits. Um, but my roommate, he lent me his clinic because it was, he's from Chestnut Hill and he's got this. The History of My Skin by Charles Sims. He hates being called sir. Do not call him sir is the one thing. He's like, you can call me colonel if you have to, but just call me Frank or Mr. Slade. Uh, and uh, Charlie goes back up and he's like, I think I... I made him mad. I don't, I don't think I got the job. And she's like, no, you got the job. You're the only person that showed up. You got the job. Uh, so he's like, Oh, okay. I mean, it's going to be easy money. So he takes it that night. Then at school while he's working at the library, he starts talking with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. He wants to check out a book that is not, um, it's on hold. On the res- it's on the on reserve, reserve list. Yeah. 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 So he wants to take that out so he can study. And he's like, okay, have this back by 7.30 or whatever so that we can, um, you know, I can still turn it in to the back to the reserve desk. He's like, yeah, no problem. They both go to leave as he's locking up the library. The three friends of Philip Seymour Hoffman are setting up some prank on a streetlight that we don't really know what it is yeah we just see point. a couple of prep boys who found a ladder and they're monkeying around with the street light yes. or with the parking and there has already been mention yeah. of the dean at this point um and basically how he it kisses the board of trustees ass in their opinion which is like yeah he's the dean that's what they do but uh how they bought him a brand new i think it's jaguar um, hell yeah it's a beautiful car and uh while they're setting it up Charlie and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, George in this movie, see him. And George is like, Hey, that's my boys. What's up? And he's like yelling at them. Then one of the, I don't know if she, what her position is, but it's June squib uh, comes around the corner and she's like, Hey boys, what's going on over there? Cause the boys run off real quick. And she's like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. We don't know what, who's to say who those people are. Uh, so they, they kind of show shove her out of the way get her going along. Then the next morning when the Dean comes to uh, school parks under said streetlight, cause that's his reserve spot. And they start going over the loudspeaker, basically making fun of him saying how, you know, he kisses the board's ass. That's how he got this brand new fancy car. And they inflate a balloon over his car, which has uh, a picture of him kissing the board of trustees ass. Then I mean, a little bit to me, this is on the Dean at this point because Mm -hmm. he just jumps up like on his car with his keys and pops the balloon. And it's very clear that the balloon has something in it. Like you can see the liquid in the balloon as he's going to pop it. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. One, this, this movie occurred back in a time when people actually pulled off pranks uh, that didn't involve like... I don't know, uh, you know, getting quote unquote punked a la MTV style. <laughs> it would involve some planning. Uh, it would involve some fortitude, some elbow grease. But even with that, like, I'm sorry that like 
so he pops this balloon and it spreads like white paint all over everything, over the car, over the Dean. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, how was there that much paint in this balloon? <laughs> Yet we never saw it until they started inflating it. They ran a line with feeding gas to it. Like, like oh, it just, it didn't make sense. And in, you know, real time, that'd be a pretty cool prank to observe. Like all of the you know, the prep They'll school, cheer. all the little fascists in their fucking boating <laughs> boots, like start cheering because, yeah, we have it so hard. Fuck you, Dean. It's like, dude, he's just he's just doing his job. Like, I don't we have no reason to hate him. What? Yeah, there's there's is, no reason to like hate him it was like in the movie. Unearned, yeah, it was just like unearned, like fucking just wrath. And we're like, OK, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I had a point there, but. Uh, so he, uh, Charlie and George eventually get called in because June Squibb was like, well, I was, well, I was leaving my office and I saw these two boys and I think that they saw something. And so they bring them both in. He questions them both together in his office and they both are just kind of like, ah, well, um, we didn't see anything. We can't really say. And he's like, hmm, okay. Uh, he then makes George leave Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And he's like, you know, Charlie, every year I write a letter of recommendation for one student on scholarship to go to Harvard. And I wrote your name this year, basically saying, he's like, now can you tell me? And he's saying, you know, tell me and I'll do this. I'll uh, write this letter of recommendation for you, offering him a bribe, basically. Which uh, to get into like already a couple of legal points, like I don't know all the different educational and admin rules with this but i definitely feel like a lawyer could have a feast on the dean right here uh, uh, why not why why, why? yeah why? i i mean i just think like if you if it now again if it was just his word against the dean's word like who's to say if anything would happen from it but if that was like something on record that like he was bribed to you know inform on it on his classmates and you know who he could say i never actually saw anything and the dean would not also not be able to prove that he's lying either there too so i think that there's there's nothing legally binding uh, anyone here but i do think that in terms of a, a lawyer like the QAnon shaman lawyer could turn public opinion oh. and, and like pr against this dean pretty hard i think for that sort of stuff Sure, but the, the legal couch around that is like, well, no, I wasn't threatening anything. I was just <laughs> informing this kid who I'd already vouched for uh, as being a man of integrity and a, a bared man. And so then I asked him to act consistent with my endorsement. Now, if he were to act contrary to what I believed in him, well, maybe I would rescind that, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it's a soft bribe, if you will. It, uh, sure, it's sure. it, it's uh, perfectly legal. It's just a fucking dick move to it's a dick stunt to pull on like a 17 year old kid who's terrified every day he's there yeah he doesn't that's belong the there. like the most like you know vulnerable kid probably in this school who's like if i get in any sort of trouble like i can't pay the tuition here so i'm out uh because like yeah with george it's like yeah my dad will just write me the letter to harvard who cares uh but uh he then talks with george out of it and george is like no we never rat on anyone that's the rule and um he uh i wrote down in my notes i'm like yeah okay i get that i was like but also like all these guys are kind of giving me brett kavanaugh vibes too at the same time 
Squeeb. Squeeb. <laughs> Which uh, one was Squeeb? I think the guy with the hair. That was Squeeb. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, with the curly hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he then go Charlie, he's like, think about it over break and get back to me to see if you actually remember seeing anything. So then over, he goes to the Slade home. Uh, he's talking with the niece more. Uh, I wrote down in one of my notes, I wrote, damn, Francine, he's your uncle. Because one of the niece's children, Francine is like, oh, are you going to tell Charlie about then she like imitates him, like her uncle, like trying to like walk blind. I was like, damn, he's blind. Like, why you got to do him like that, Francine? Uh, kids kids uh, under the age of six are just savage, okay? <laughs> Once they hit six, they should learn that, oh, we can't do that. There are consequences. People have feelings that'll get hurt fucking four-year-old nope you're just gonna eat shit they're just gonna rip you apart uh so then as soon as he gets into um frank's place as they're leaving frank's like okay we're leaving too we're going to new york city and he's like why are we going and he won't tell him he's like pack my stuff get these things we have a driver here he's gonna take us uh he's gonna take to the airport they they get there and he's like i got two tickets he's like i thought i was just taking you to the airport he's like no you're coming to new york city with me they get there um, and he gets a super nice room at the Waldorf Astoria with a huge mini bar. He orders a limo to come pick him up. They go down to have dinner at the Oak Room, which is a super fancy, um, uh, super fancy restaurant. Which, like, how Charlie points out, he's like, it's $24 for a hamburger and fries here. Which I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty pricey, but that's not. And I was like, wait, this is 1992, and I looked up, and that's like fifty dollar burger. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, that's way too much to pay. <laughs> like, because if I was at like some like urban gastro pub and I saw that, I'd be like, I'm not gonna get that, but that better be a, like a pretty good burger, you know? Like, and I bet you the Oak Room's burger is slamming. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he he finally he's like, just tell me why are we here? And Frank just is like, well, I wanted to come to New York and uh, engage in some luxury for once in my life. He's like, maybe take a, take a woman and then I'm going to blow my brains out. And he's like, did, did you just say you're going to commit suicide? And he's like, no, I didn't say that. I said I'm going to blow my brains out. Uh, so, and he kind of doesn't really know if he's serious at this point because he doesn't really yeah. know how to act around Frank at all yet because Frank is still very much keeping everyone at arm's length. He's, you know, making fun of Charlie as much as he can. Uh, I wrote down at one point, he basically just like uh, talks in quotes in different gotchas this whole movie, which is great. I love his character in this movie. Um, they He then gets him to uh, say, he's like, hey, we're actually going to go to White Plains, uh, which is just a little bit north of New York City to see my family, which I had to piece together. So it's his niece. So this is, I'm assuming the other side of the family because it's his brother that's there. Um, And they're going to go visit his family. And as soon as they get there, it's very clear that this family does not like Frank. Uh, His brother was like, you got family, Charlie? And he's like, yeah. He's like, so why don't you take him to your family for Thanksgiving? And I was like, yeah, damn. Uh, one of the it's nep- nephews of Frank is played by Bradley Whitford. Love yep. Bradley Whitford. Pre-West Wing Bradley Whitford. Just <laughs> the most snivelly Whitford imaginable. Uh, oh, you're VP of marketing over at the sugar company. The sugar oh, very good. Very good. Uh, uh, you should and, go down on your wife more. Yeah, so that's what the dinner eventually divulges into. 
Frank uh, makes some comments about his own sexual escapades. He then uh, talk, uh, once Bradley Whitford's character cuts in, he's like, uh, you should go down on your wife more. It sounds like she's not happy. And then Bradley Whitford reveals the real reason why Frank is blind. It's not something he was born with. It's not some uh, sort of, you know, something that happened outside of his control. He was in the army. He was a lieutenant colonel. And uh, he was supposedly earmarked to go all the way up to general. And instead, um, he was passed over for, you know, assuming something with his attitude, because it's very clear that he has problems with a lot of people. Um, But... He also had an act for his soldiers where he would juggle hand grenades. And one morning, he got very drunk with his partner, juggled them, uh, pulled the pins out. One of them went off and blinded him permanently. Uh, He also claimed that he didn't actually take the pin out, whatever. So he had to medically retire from the service at that point. Mm -hmm. On a lieutenant colonel's pension, no less. That's real tough. (laughs) Which... That was one other thing that I I wrote down in my notes here because he's like, where did you get all the money for this stuff when they're going to like the fancy dinners and the, you know, he's paying for escorts. And uh, he said, oh, I've just been saving up my disability checks. And I was like, you know, he was a commissioned officer, a pretty high commissioned officer at that. So he probably does have a pretty good pension to live off of. But I was like, yeah, especially if he's living for free with his niece. Like, true, fuck true. It. And so, I, but I was like, is he also supposed to just be like a, because a, a commissioned officer and at that high of one normally means like you have some sort of formal, you know, uh, undergraduate or maybe even postgraduate education. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he does also that like he made a ton of money somehow else. I don't know. But uh, he just says, and I was just like, okay, I could believe that he's just been living off his disability. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, his nephew keeps insulting him. He also keeps calling Charlie Chucky. And uh, Frank says, don't call him that. His name yeah. is Charles. And it's, it's, it's such a great scene. And uh, uh, he then calls him it a second time. And without warning, Frank just gets up and like puts him in a chokehold against the wall. And he's like, you know what this is? This is a ranger chokehold. I can move a little bit and you'd be out. And uh, they pull him off and he's just like, great dinner. Love to see you guys next year. <laughs> <laughs> we out. Uh, uh, and um, they then uh, leave. And this is where Charlie first tells Frank about what's going on at school because he's kind of noticed that he's been like nervous and really, he, he said he really wants to get back to New York. And um, so he says, you know, what should I do? And Frank tells him at this point, he's like, you should just tell on him. Like, you want to go to Harvard? They don't care about any of this because they got rich, you know, yeah. mommies and daddies who will get him into Harvard. You're going to be the one get thre- You're going to be the one left standing when the, when the music stops. Like, that's how, that's the way of the world. That's how this works. So fucking get while you can. Yeah, he's like, George is going to fold. You might as well fold before he does. And then uh, we get some more, and this is where we get really into like the whole, the the title, the scent of a woman. He's mentioned before about like smelling a woman by her perfume and knowing exactly what, like maybe what they look like or how they are by their smell. Um, he then meets a woman, um, Donna, who's waiting on her, I think husband 
smoke too. Just an and, early '90s smoke. And he leads her in a you know perfect tango out on the floor, which is and, what one does at a restaurant at lunchtime. Yeah, it's uh, like lunch. A, well, it's also lunchtime, but like she's dressed in like an evening dinner date dress. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, she looked. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all very like what we used to think of fancy New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just like, all right, well, there's a band here, there's a dance floor. Uh, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna tango because I'm a blind guy and I'm, I'm just dripping with charm. And she's like, all right, I'm in. And then they fucking do it. It's fucking like I've never been like really great. You know, I've never really been pumped up for a dance scene before in my entire <laughs> life but i was just like pleasant i pleasantly like i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it it's really fun yeah and there's like another little scene where the husband shows up and you get how like often frank is probably overlooked because of his blindness because he's like oh this this nice man here just led me in a dance and i passed the time waiting for you and he's like oh thank you and he like holds out his hand to charlie and she's like no it was this guy with the with the blind cane and he's like oh well, i'll shake both your hands then which is very clearly he's just like this guy isn't he's blind he probably just sits there um then uh they um from there he's also witnessed frank taking out and like so remembering how to like perfectly disassemble and reassemble his service pistol and he's like where'd you get that and he's like well i was in the army i always get to keep my gun which i was like yeah it's true it's true okay because I maybe I guess if you're an officer, you get a pistol and you get to keep it. But I was like, maybe that's an old thing. Maybe they don't do that anymore. I don't know. I I've, I I felt like I was like, I don't think that's a thing that's done that much anymore. Well, but, if you and your lefty ass hug a tree <laughs> liberal set would have any control, it's still, you know, if it weren't for you all, it'd still be a man's military. Well, where, like, uh, we you, let you retire with a gun and a horse. And we give you a plot of land as well as a servant, but no. Well, it's like people think like if you go on a military base, just everyone's going to be packing heat. I'm like, no, it's like a lot of them are just office buildings that people are just walking around, but for some reason in fatigues the whole time. Yep. Critical race theory. Here (laughs) we go. Here we go. It's what happens when, well, I mean, actually, yeah. And this is like technically pre-ask or pre don't ask, don't tell, uh, come to think of it. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's an older military, but nonetheless, he's a guy who's threatened suicide is just playing with his gun and taking it apart, building it back up uh, to pass the time as one does. Yes. So he, he then comes to Frank the next morning, actually uh, that night ends with Frank hiring an escort to be with them and they drop him off and they just wait for him while he's up there with her. But then the next morning he just seems like completely changed. He's like, I don't give a shit. I don't want to do anything today. And Charlie is like, what about if we go out and we test drive one of these Ferraris that you're always talking about? Uh, And Frank is able to sweet talk the salesman into letting them drive it uh, with a bribe and telling him that Charlie's his son and we'll return it right back and I'll pay for it Monday uh, if you let me test drive it right now. It's like $110,000. For the uh, cheapest one. Yeah, for the the cheapest Ferrari there. So they take it out. they uh frank is just kind of like whatever like while they're driving around but then he lets frank drive it which uh i know frank is speeding and i know frank is like blind but he's a better stick shift driver than charlie in this yeah movie. 
that's a tough car to learn stick on (laughs) a ferrari or maybe the best car to learn stick on i guess that transmission would be pretty freaking uh should be pliable uh so they uh but while he's speeding in it because he lets frank drive they get pulled over frank is able to sweet talk the cop and the cop doesn't ever suspect that frank is blind uh which like wouldn't be something you should naturally suspect when you pull over someone driving uh i guess so a little bit of a pass there but i was just like eh, whatever it's a dumb cop uh it was so, it's a really sweet scene actually like that's just it, it, it this movie is just like what we just described like oh it's a pretty mundane encounter it's like no like it's like kind of like wrapped in feeling and like a sort of a sense of longing but also comfort and like yeah it's like all right so a cop pulled over a blind guy shouldn't this be funny it's like well it's kind of funny but it's also kind of heartwarming and oh it like, is i really even wrote and, down, like, yeah. this is a heartwarming scene of them together uh it gets rough right after though um yeah because then once they return the ferrari uh they are walking back to the waldorf and frank just tries to like walk out in traffic he wants to just take a piss right there in the middle of the street which it's 90s New York, so you can't really do that anymore on the yeah. street. <laughs> um, so, but then they get back to the hotel, and Frank is like, Okay, I want you to go get these special cigars for me. You'll have to go a couple blocks over because they're not sold here. He's like, Okay. He uh, leaves, but he's like, There's something weird. So he goes back up and he realizes that Frank sent him out because Frank was going to follow through and commit suicide that day. Frank goes to uh, point the gun at Charlie. He intervenes when he tries to just put it at his own head. They fight back and forth. And finally, uh, Frank backs down because Charlie gives him a couple lists of things that he does have to live for in this life. Um, so he's like, fuck it, whatever. So they go back to, because, uh, you know, it's the end of Thanksgiving weekend at this point. And immediately, when Charlie gets back, he has to go in front of these proceedings, which is some of the most intimidating proceedings uh, you could put like a 17 or whatever year old through. Like, it's not just like in front of the disciplinary board. It's in front of the entire school. Like yeah. every single student is there watching you get fill up the auditorium. You're taking a seat on the stage with the disciplinary board behind you with your inquisitor, if you will, being this like, uh, you know, kind of sleazy headmaster Dean uh, as prosecutor. And it's, yeah, man. And like Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, shows up with his father as his like aide or counselor, if you will. Yeah. And here's Charlie just sitting up the fuck alone. Yes. Rough. And we get into it. And as he, uh, the Dean, which I haven't even mentioned up to this point, is played by another great actor, James Rebhorn. Uh, another guy that was just huge in the nineties um, for just being in like every single movie. I feel like I watched mm-hmm. total that guy, total yeah. that guy. Uh, he starts talking about the history of Baird and men of character and all this stuff. And he, uh, as he's talking, Frank comes back in the auditorium and he's like, thought you might need some support. So he comes up, he sits next to Charlie. Uh, and then they first go and question George, George, like, kind of snitches but not really like in like the least like 
culpable way he can. Well, and I didn't have like, my contacts in. I couldn't see. He's well, like, they were roughly the shape of these three guys, but who's to say, really? I mean, and, fuck, man. Yeah, like, I was like, okay, you just snitched. Like, I, yeah. I didn't get that. I was just like, well, so he snitched. Like, yeah, yeah, I was like, he basically just snitched, but he's like, you know, I, I could be wrong. Um, uh, which every scene that Hoffman is in in this just steals the show because he's not just uh, a guy who can like perfectly like communicate lines. Like he does such good face and voice acting with yeah. everything that he does where like you can see every emotion from his eyes all the way down and how he delivers the line. I mean, just rest in peace to that guy because God, he was so King. good. King. Uh, but then um, he asked Charlie and Charlie's just like, I can't say. And he's like, you can't say or you won't say. And he's like, I can't, I can't. Which, uh, you know, shout out to Charlie for not being a snitch. Cool, cool, mm-hmm. cool. But what do you owe these guys at the end of the day? Well, he he doesn't owe them a damn thing, uh, but he also doesn't owe, like it's, it's important to him to not be a snitch, to maintain okay. his own no, integrity. And, and- at the end of the day, I agreed with Charlie. I was just like, yeah, you don't snitch. Like, don't want to be a snitch. But at the, at the other time, I was just like, these guys are kind of mean to you at the same time, too. So, like, why would you, um, why, like, why do you feel like you need to protect them? But uh, the dean is just like, well, it's disappointing. Uh, I'm going to recommend to the disciplinary board that you be expelled. He's like, you are not a man of character or whatever. And then we get the amazing Pacino monologue. Are you going to play that? I'll splice that in here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, he's like, he's not a snitch. I'm going to recommend to the disciplinary committee that you be expelled. Mr. Sims, you are a cover-up artist and you are a liar. But not a snitch. Excuse me? No, I don't think I will. Mr. Slade. This is such a crock of shit. Please watch your language, Mr. Slade. You are in the Baird School, not a barracks. Mr. Sims, I will give you one final opportunity to speak on. Mr. Sims doesn't want it. He doesn't need to be labeled still worthy of being a Baird man. What the hell is that? What is your motto here? Boys, inform on your classmates Save your hide. Anything short of that, we're going to burn you at the stake? Well, gentlemen, when the shit hits the fan, some guys run and some guys stay. Here's Charlie facing the fire, and there's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. And what are you doing? You're going to reward George and destroy Charlie. Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. I don't know who went to this place. William Howard Taft, William Jennings Bride, William Tell, whoever. Their spirit is dead, if they ever had one. It's gone. You're building a rat ship here. A vessel for seagoing snitches. And if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, you better think again. Because I say you are killing the very spirit this institution proclaims it instills. What a sham. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? I mean, the only class in this act 
is sitting next to me, and I'm here to tell you, this boy's soul is intact. It's non-negotiable. You know how I know? Someone here, and I'm not going to say who, offered to buy it. Only Charlie here wasn't selling. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order? I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I'd show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too fucking blind. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Out of order. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen boys like these, younger than these, their arms torn out, their legs ripped off. But there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. There is no prosthetic for that. You think you're merely sending this splendid foot soldier back home to Argonne with his tail between his legs, but I say you are executing his soul! And why? Because he's not a bad man. Bad men. You hurt this boy, you're gonna be bad bums. The lot of you. And Harry, Jimmy, Trent, wherever you are out there, fuck you too! Stand down, Mr. Slade. I'm not finished. As I came in here, I heard those words. Cradle of leadership. Well, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And it has fallen here. It has fallen. Makers of men. Creators of leaders. Be careful what kind of leaders you're producing here. I don't know. If Charlie's silence here today is right or wrong, I'm not a judge or jury, but I can tell you this. He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Now I have come to the crossroads in my life. I always knew what the right path was. Without exception, I knew, but I never took it. You know why? It was too damn hard. Now here's Charlie. He's come to the crossroads. He has chosen a path. It's the right path. It's a path made of principle that leads to character. Let him continue on his journey. You hold this boy's future in your hands, committee. It's a valuable future. Believe me, don't destroy it. Protect it. Embrace it. It's going to make you proud one day, I promise you. So I'm, one, of the, one of the greatest movie monologues that I've uh, can remember. I love his speech. Um, just like, just going off on not only like, you know, the Baird school, but like this whole process being a shame, which I did write down. I'm like, yeah, these proceedings are bullshit. This is like fucking kangaroo court here, man. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and I just love the monologue. And he's just like, 
we'll take that into consideration. And then he turns around and the disciplinary board is just like, and they just like, uh, quickly, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. quickly discuss. Well, let's just get out of here. Now that was fucking riveting and moving. Yeah, we're we're the baddies. Yeah, uh, they're like, yeah, we're the baddies. They're like, did you see what he just said? I don't want to be on the other side of that. So they're just like, no, we're done. Um, we are going to put the three kids that are suspected because basically Hoffman snitched on him on probation. Hoffman is going to receive neither recognition nor commendation for his, which I was like, okay, whatever. And Charlie's free. Nothing else from him at this point. To thunderous applause, the student yes. body. Wah! Uh, and then uh, on the way out, uh, we get another that uh, that dude because uh, a professor comes out and is like, I loved your speech, the Frank, uh, played by Francis Conroy. And she's just like, uh, she's like, I loved your speech. And he's just like, well, are you single? <laughs> and she's like, uh, yes, I am. And immediately just like, all right, Frank. And, uh, and he's like, you don't have to tell me. Auburn hair, like all this stuff about her. Yep. Frank um, fixing a smash. It's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, what I do really <laughs> like at the very end too is they get all the way back to the home. And Frank is just like, hey, before you go to Christmas, you know, stop by and see me. Um, he gives Manny a huge tip, who's been their limo driver this whole weekend. He also, uh, uh, then what I really love though about it is Charlie goes to say bye, and Frank is like, Dip! and just turns and walks away and doesn't really give him any sort of like heartwarming because it's like, yeah, it's not just a flip of the switch where all of a sudden Frank is this like great, you know, lovable person. Like it's going to take time, but he, like Charlie has shown him that. So he still has a wall built up. So I really like that because he goes back and Francine, again, this little girl is just like, he's like, is that Francine? And she's basically just like, ah, screw you, uncle Frank. And he's like, come on, you gotta talk to me like that. And like, you know, he hugs her and it's a nice little ending to the movie. Yep. yep. So yeah, that is, uh, that is, that is scent of a woman. Um, really the only legal points are the last like, 10 15 minutes of the movie yeah and it's essentially like just a stand-in you know for you know like i mean that's an honor board quote unquote you know yeah uh, you don't have that in public schools by anything but you know uh prep schools and a lot of colleges would have an honor code that was self-enforcing you know and there would convene that and then like the proceedings for that would be essentially for lack of a better term an administrative law format where there yeah. are no real rules of evidence no, there's you no could, you could hire a lawyer to come with you to those yeah sure sure and and in in current day in admin law most people do because mm -hmm. even without any rules of evidence or standards uh you know it, it's you want an effective uh you know someone who can effectively cross-examine someone who can put things together someone who can argue convincingly yada 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 uh, but yeah, you said it right. Like admin proceedings generally are kangaroo courts. Uh, the only reason they exist is because those in charge, the people in power need to have some semblance of due process. So like, oh, well, we'll just give you this hearing. It's like, but you've already decided I've done something, hence the hearing. And now <laughs> you're going to get to adjudicate it. Like, yes, that's right. And like, oh, okay. yeah. So yes. prove us wrong. Like, yeah. well, that's the not what the standard this should be on you like nope prove us wrong like <laughs> we've made up our mind that you need to be expelled tell me why you shouldn't be 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think the most you ever see this in legal news being an issue uh, is within the context of Title IX on college campuses, mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, I mean, Title IX is a very fraught and flawed uh, set of laws and regulations and federal guidance. But at the end of the day, no matter you know, whether it's under the Obama regime and his guidance versus the Trump era and their guidance, uh, it still comes down to a kangaroo court where a student or faculty member is just accused of something and it's practically the burden is on them to prove their innocence. And it, it's, and it's, it, it's, there's no due pro and there, there's no due. Uh, that's the quote unquote due process, but there's no yeah. discovery. You have no, you have no rights to do, to anything. It's like, well, you can interview whoever will talk to you to find <laughs> out what they know. It's like, but you know, we're only going to have a half day for this hearing. So you have to be judicious about who you're going to come speak for on your behalf. And you know, like, there's just nothing. You're not, it, it's, it's shit. It's infuriating to be involved in uh, as an attorney and as an advocate for your client, because your person rightly, you know, whether they did what they're accused of or not, uh, they're just getting railroaded and it just, it just makes you sick. Uh, so that's my thoughts on that. Um, so not too many legal points, but a little bit of a legal area that you don't see as much in like the formal, um, practice. Uh, but with that being said, um, does this movie pass the bar? That's going to be our scores from zero to 100. Average of 50 between both of us, it does pass the bar. Below, it doesn't. Um, Spencer, what is your score and does this movie pass the bar for you? Well, seeing as how this isn't really a legal movie uh, <laughs> that sort of takes sort of a, a key portion of our rubric out for consideration. So now you're just asking me, is this a good movie? Yeah, do you like the movie? That's oh, been most of my rubric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shit. Uh, it, okay, I've never seen Sentinel Woman before. Never. Uh, for some reason, I just just had always changed the channel whenever it was being played on the <laughs> Sunday night movie of the week kind of thing. You know, like uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to give it an 86. Uh, it could be higher, but I've got some notes. So okay. what's yours? Uh, I already mentioned I love this movie. Um, it is one of my favorite um, movies that I've ever watched as a kid. I think I I think it hits a really good point of nostalgia for me because, like, it is a very key point of the 90s in terms of movies for me. Um, you mentioned how it's kind of like a comforting sort of movie. And this movie to me is like, it's like a warm blanket type mm-hmm. fall movie because it's just, it's nothing but like good feelings throughout the movie, even when it's that rough point in the middle where Frank is contemplating suicide. Like, it's still a heartwarming moment because of Charlie being there. Um, all the cast is great. There's a little bit of um, notes I wrote down in terms of like the choices that they made with some of the screenplay, which I was like, I don't really get it. But then I, on further review, I do think my one point was why would, why would Frank choose to just pick a random person and subject them to this rather than him just doing it himself and then offing himself in the little house that he lives in but then i was like well maybe he does have some care for his niece and he doesn't want her to find him dead he's like i'll just get some random schmuck to be the person that'll you know put yeah along. no and i was kind of wrapping my head around that basic premise too i'm like wait but then it's like no he needed an ex when he knew that they would be out of town and he'd 
be left alone. And yeah, it's perfect. Like, so yeah. So this, this movie by and far passes the bar. This movie gets a 94 for me. Um, I love this movie and that is an average of 90 for both of us then between both of us. Okay. So one major note, one major <laughs> note. You don't hear me say this too often, but much like this podcast, this movie was about 20 to 30 minutes too long. Uh, I'll give you that. And it's, a, it, you know, it, and this comes up all the time. It's, it's like, well, it's made in a different era. And like, it's made in the early 90s. So it's following different conventions. And I get that. I get that. Uh, it's still got about 20 to 30 minutes of fat that could just be snip snipped. You know, it really could. Also, the, it, and you ask, well, which scenes? And I'll be like, all right give me any three scenes and I'll pick two of them where we could just like tighten it a little bit. All right. We just cut this out, cut that out. You know, it, it, it's a little unnecessary, but that's actually my biggest note. Uh, okay. Al Pacino okay. is it, 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 maybe one of my favorite performances of his. And I like was watching this. I'm like, God damn it. He's just one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. He's just amazing. He's, that, he can just do anything. And I kept writing in my notes. I'm like, this had to be so intimidating to be across from Al Pacino giving this performance as like a young Chris O'Donnell in some of the scenes like that had to be just like so intimidating. Um, but some production notes, I did see that um, uh, he did study with uh, actual uh, blind people to understand what it's like to be blind for this and he, role. He, he played blind so well. It's he not did. Like they and, just... and what I liked with his blind was he particularly sought out people who weren't born blind, but had an accident happen to them where they went blind because he's like, I don't want to like someone who's born blind and never knows sight, but can like have the other heightened senses. He wants to know what it was like. Okay. It's taken from you. What's that progression? Like where, maybe your sight starts to slowly go away and maybe um, you know that you're eventually going to be blind. How do you start coping with that? And how do you start training your other senses to take over for that? So uh, I think he does a really good job of just playing blind and playing someone who's just depressed about that happening and it being of their own actions. So I mean, at the, at the beginning when he's like searching for his glass to pour his like Jack Daniels into, like it's such a mm-hmm. good, like you can tell like he's not someone who's used to being blind his whole life. Like the way he's like acting, yeah. but he still has his other heightened senses where he can tell that like Charlie's kind of being a dick and saluting him like, cause he's in the military. He's like, no, I, I know you were doing that. And he's like, I can tell where you are in the room and things like that. So that was awesome. His eyes uh, were great. They didn't just like, <laughs> Well, no, because I mean that's a lot of screen time to play blind. They could have just gotten away with it by put throwing sunglasses on him and just let him like mm-hmm. sit there. But no, like he he only did that like when they're like driving or traveling or something. Like he was just like so like. And if you watch his eyes, for example, in this, like they are just fixed on nothing. They're just he's blind. They're just and he keeps that throughout the whole thing. Like that is okay. Try just as an exercise, Joe. Like keeping your eyes fixed on something like you're not actually looking at anything and just like, you know, and then on top of that, then try acting. Yeah. Then, you know? then try different <laughs> a performance yeah. like this, uh, an Oscar winning performance, I believe for this one too. Yeah. that It was his first, I think. I think it was. Um, so, I mean, it was nominated for best actor, which it won. It was also nominated for best uh, adapted screenplay because like we haven't mentioned, this is actually based on an Italian movie, which it itself was based on an Italian book. Um, 
also nominated for Best Picture and Best Director for that year. Uh, but I want to get your what, take. What, what won instead of this for Best Picture? 1992. Let me do some quick. Okay. So 92, that was not Forrest Gump. That wasn't Braveheart. That might have been. Ooh, okay, I just found it. Let's. Okay, what is it? Give me the other nominees. Give me the nominees. Okay. So, Scent of a Woman, obviously. Uh, Howard's End. A Few Good Men. The Crying Game. And then I haven't said the winner yet. Okay, and then what's the winner? Unforgiven. Ah, well, it's a pretty great fucking movie. (laughs) Pretty good movie. Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, okay, I get that. It's like, all Uh, right, we'll beat The Crying Game. Okay, A Few Good Men. Uh, I mean, shit, man. Uh, it'll beat Howard's End, which is a very self-serious, like, Oscar movie. Uh, yeah. Shit, that's a all right, some stiff competition. It didn't get screwed, I guess. So, with your score, uh, I want to see, with some of the casting choices that they almost did, if this how this would have affected it. Uh, they have a longer list for Charlie, so I'm going to start with Frank first, because that's just one. Uh, initially, this was not going to be played by Al Pacino. This was okay. initially offered to Jack Nicholson. Fuck. Okay. I think he so here's it still would have been good in my opinion. With Jack yeah, Nicholson. here's here's the thing. Like, yeah, I was watching this uh, with the GF last night. She'd never seen it either, and she was like, she found herself within twenty or thirty minutes, like just in love with this movie. Like, <laughs> like we both were. But I turned to her towards the end. And I just go, "You cannot make this movie with anyone but Al Pacino. This role doesn't work. This charm doesn't work. It'd be a very different and." let's be real, it'd probably kind of suck or be very off-putting in lesser hands. Like, it, Pacino creates this role and the movie forms around him. But Nicholson? I mean, yeah, Jack Nicholson could play. I, yeah, man, that, that could work. That could work just yeah. as well, maybe even better. It could work just as well, I think. Um, all right, so then for Charlie, obviously it was Chris O'Donnell who eventually got picked, and I think he does a good job. Um, I think he's great. Uh, but some of the other people that they almost picked. First audition was with Stephen Dorff. Oh, we stand a Stephen Dorff on this <laughs> I podcast. I love Stephen Dorff. Oh, I man. I don't know. I, I, this would have been very young Stephen Dorff, so like maybe. But the Stephen Dorff that I know now, I don't know. He just always seems like more gritty to me than like he doesn't seem like an innocent Charlie Sims. Yeah, it could have been interesting. I mean, at this point, anyone cast for this would have been like at the beginning of their career, just like Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> like this is this movie made him a thing, you know, like yeah. Chris O'Donnell became a leading Hollywood man for a good 10 years because of this movie. Yeah. So maybe maybe I want that for Stephen Dorff. Maybe I want that. All right. Next one, which I don't think would have worked. Uh, this Chris Rock. Nope. Audition. I, I love Chris Rock, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just, I would have wanted too much more of his comedy in this role. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't want someone being funny in this role of the like scared, like just and, naive teenager. You just don't want that. And I, and think also that, let's, from a practical thing, you think an old, drunk, bitter, depressed, like uh, military guy who like, cut his teeth in Vietnam is gonna injecting s- some race into this dynamic on top of it being like a senior year essentially my servant thing that just mm, yeah yeah I don't yeah. think that holds up well 
And I do think that Chris Rock has done well with some more serious stuff that he's done. But at this point in his career, like his early like stand up and SNL days, I don't think it would have uh, been the right career move for him. Uh, next one. I think that this one, I would have wanted to see this maybe over Chris O'Donnell. And that is Brendan Fraser. A young, hot, I mean, he's still hot, but a young, hot Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah. Would have been just as good. Could have even been better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Go watch School Ties. He's awesome in that. (laughs) Uh, He's awesome as the prep school outsider. He he already did this role, essentially. Exactly. Al Pacino. And that brings me to the next two I'll put together. Uh, Also auditioned for this role was both Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. (laughs) Matt Damon would have been great. Ben Affleck would not have been. (laughs) Yeah, I I could get behind that. Um, so that's, that's all I had for production notes. Um, we normally do the whole segment of what kind of person would this character be in law school? Um, no one's in law school or no one's even a lawyer in this movie. Um, some of them at this school are going to probably become lawyers. Uh, I, I would posit that the three, uh, pranksters, I don't think they're becoming lawyers. They all seem to be very rich uh, sons who will go on to just be like some you know, other form of in- investment banker. Yeah, why work? Why work for a living? That's uh, oh, not exactly what we do either. So no, George, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, maybe because he seems like a pretty studious person as well. On top of uh, being kind of a shithead, I could see him. He'd probably just be your general sort of like. Uh, you know, he doesn't care in law school because his dad is rich. And then after that, he gets a job at a super high powered firm doing nothing really. Uh, I do see Charlie Sims though, as becoming a lawyer after this, I would say out of everyone in this, he is someone that I could see going to law school throughout this. And I don't think that means he's like a better person. Cause it doesn't mean you're better. If you go to law school, I just see him as being that sort of like person that goes to law school because he wants to make a difference. It's the kind of person. Yeah, he's destined for law school. I just see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's all we have on Scent of a Woman. I think any any final thoughts? My recommendation is to watch it. Uh, yes. Listener, if you, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. If you have seen it, it's probably been too long. Watch it again. It's awesome. And like I said, it's a, it's a great warm blanket of a movie. So if you have like a nice movie that you just want to watch with your family, this actually is a pretty good one to put on. It's for free on Peacock. You can stream it for free with a free account on Peacock. Um, there's going to be. We can do what I did and rent it for three dollars <laughs> on any other stream because <laughs> uh, I don't have Peacock. Uh, the, to your point, this is a good family movie because this movie is a severely dad movie. Uh, oh, your dads would love this. Yeah, movie. the the dads your would dad love this. Starts ranting about CRT or Kyle Rittenhouse. Just put this movie on. And it'll be a nice silence for like two and a half hours. Hooah! Yeah. They'll be like, that's a man right there. He's like, that's a man. He's blind and he's still fucking slaying. It's like, all right, dad, calm down. Calm down. Yes. So, I mean, that's that's the recommendation I'll leave you with, uh, is put this movie on to make your conservative relative shut up for two hours. Mm -hmm. Not a gay person or person of color (laughs) in sight. That's actually true. Uh, yeah, so there's that too. <laughs> oh, uh, 
from Spencer and myself, remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and none of this is legal advice. Hoo-ah!